The Lord be with you. Welcome to Thin Places, the podcast channel of St. Aidan's Anglican Church in Nicholasville, Kentucky. I'm Father Lee, the pastor here at St. Aidan's, and I want to invite you to join me here each week as we join together to share common prayer, common worship, and common life. And just as the streams feed the trees on their banks till they pour in the seas, so may my life be to all those who share this wilderness road. Welcome to the Misreading Scripture series on the Thin Places podcast. In this series, we're studying the book Misreading Scripture Through Western Eyes by Randolph Richards and Brandon O'Brien. The book invites us to look carefully at the ways culture shapes how we read the Bible and how the Bible speaks to us, giving us a chance to encounter new, fresh, and powerful ways of hearing God's Word. Today's discussion is about virtues and vices. Each culture has a number of beliefs about good and bad behavior. These are shaped by the kinds of stories our culture tells. Today we're going to talk about some of these assumptions and the ways they can interfere with listening to and reading the Bible well. Each week in the episode notes, you'll find a copy of the discussion notes we used during our study together. I encourage you to take a look at them as you listen to help you follow along with our discussions. So jump into a small group at St. Aidan's as we ask the question, what goes without being said about virtues and vices when we read the Bible? Now, on the, you know, the, the big picture that we have of the, uh, of the iceberg, we are way below the surface at this point, okay? We have, uh, we've gone off the edge of the map, as it were. <clears throat> so what are virtues and vices? Who's got an idea? Things that you ought to do and things that you ought not to do. Yeah, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And be, yeah, to do and to be, right? Because there's all there's there's definitely an element of um, personality that's sort of woven into this. Like this, these are these are the behaviors and these are the kind of people that are acceptable uh, for you to be in in this particular uh, society that we're talking about. So the first thing that that we are going to put up here is that. These are culturally determined, all right? Virtues and vices, I've shortened it because I just didn't want to stand up there writing virtues and vices and virtues and vices and virtues and vices the whole time. So we're just, we're just using our, our, little, uh, our little acronym. That's that virtues and vices? Virtues and vices and virtues and vices and virtues and vices. So we have lots of virtues and vices. All right, so first off, these are culturally determined, all right? So the virtues and vices vary from one culture to the next, all right? Now, sometimes there's overlap, but more often than not, there is not overlap. So these are very much dependent on the place in the world where you live. And sometimes 
they are going to be different even amongst people who speak the same languages. So they're not, it's not just a matter of whether or not you're, we've, we've, we've moved beyond the, the language issue. Like we're, we're, we're so far below the waterline here that even that isn't a determining factor. It's an affecting factor, but it's not a determining factor anymore. Okay? So these are determined by the culture, and these are foundational moral principles. Okay? This is the ought or the ought not that Greg mentioned, right? So these are culturally determined, foundational moral principles. Now that is quite a big definition. Okay? And it's sort of big and it's just kind of out there. Okay? What does it mean? Culturally determined, foundational moral principles. What are we talking about here? For some examples. What kinds of things are we talking about here? Culturally determined foundational moral principles. In the in the chapter in the book, they use the example of the uh, of the the hen who makes bread, right? That's their that's their like guiding principle. They're like this is like the basic story that like just sits there in the back of everybody's mind, uh, you know, all of the time. The other one that's just like it, the ant and the grasshopper. Yes. The ant and the grasshopper. It's like it's somebody in a grasshopper, but it's yeah. the same story. It's, but it's shorter, and so it's a better story. <laughs> it, it definitely does not go on as long, making <laughs> making the same point about how to be hateful to people in spite of the things that the gospel says. <laughs> well, here's one of the things that we're, we're, we've mentioned already, right? That, that folk tales, of proverbs, and also popular cultures um, are ways that, that these are reinforced. Okay. So the, the, here, which, which brings us to the point, like when, when we talked about mores at the beginning, mores are things that are very superficial, generally speaking. They have to do with very sort of generic behaviors about smoking and about drinking and, and like those, those sorts of things. It's like how you're allowed to date and who you're allowed to speak to and the ways that you dress. They're very superficial things, but what we're talking about here these are, are these moral principles that are at work that are, that are so foundational to the way that we look at the world around us that the only way for us to effectively reinforce them is by telling <coughs> stories and proverbs and using... You. Basically, what we're saying is the only way to make these stick is to rely on poetry. Like, ultimately, that's what we're having to say. Like, these things are so deeply <coughs> embedded in us that the only way to talk about them is to resort to using poetry in, in one way, shape, or form. That's the only way that we can talk about them and, and make them meaningful. Now, <clears throat> sometimes they're fine, and sometimes they're not, and that's going to vary from one culture to the next, okay? So a culture that is predominantly uh, informed by, the, by Islam is going to look fundamentally different than a culture that is fundamentally formed by the Enlightenment. And they are both going to say things that are complete in complete opposition to the story and the world of the gospel, all right? And both of those things are going to be completely different from each other oftentimes. So they're both going to be they're they're both going to be based on virtues and vices that are completely in opposition to each other and are in opposition to the world of scripture and certainly the world that Jesus envisions his kingdom looking like and it, it it's important for us to remember that because these are culturally determined, 
Okay, so it's not we're we're not living in this world where there's there's this sort of like black and white uh, polarity. There's there, there's not like there's this one way of talking about it and then there's this way of talking about it. Okay, there's not this is the way it is in the West and this is the way it is in the rest of the world. We've we've gone beyond that. Okay, and you 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 kind of pick that up in the chapter because the authors themselves have stepped away from telling stories about their experiences in other cultures because even talking about experiences in other cultures is is too narrow for for this for for this sort of discussion like that's that's how pervasive these kinds of things are so like these the, these virtues and vices are going to be different across i mean you're going to find different virtues and vices across america from from one region of america to another you're going to find distinctly different virtues and vices now there are going to be some common ones because the for for all of, because we're all part of that same iceberg there're going to be some common threads but you're going to find fundamental differences from one region of our country to another and so the same is true in every other country and every other continent that you go to so does that make sense kind of what we're going on so why does that matter right like that's that's the question that that we have to keep coming back to over and over again so what like it, it, who cares who cares okay it's important because our temptation, the, the temptation that we face, is for you and I to, uh, to, uh, yeah, to allow our virtues and our vices to inform the way that we read Scripture. Okay, let me read a quote to us uh, from the book because they stated it really well, and it's worth revisiting. So they say, we must be aware that through repetition over time, our culture shapes our understanding of vice and virtue at the unconscious level. Eventually, these values go without being said, and the unconscious cultural lessons often influence the way that we perceive certain behaviors in Scripture, and they can lead us to ignore clear biblical teachings on vice and virtue, when it challenges a previously held cultural value, okay? That's the danger for us. While we're reading through Scripture, the, the, the danger for us is that we might look at these, these passages that we're reading, and when we come across the way that vir- virtues and vices are described in the text, we end up ignoring whole sections of it, because we're like, well, that's not an important part. So the whole point of this is for us to to begin to understand what are some of the virtues and vices, what do they look like in our own lives, what do they look like in the lives of us as a parish, and how can we start calling those things to attention? How can we start seeing those things, paying attention to those things, and saying, how can I, how can I stop and wait and try to understand what's happening? Okay, so what are some common virtues and vices that are described in the text? The first one is self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency. This one is is a. it is common. It doesn't matter where you go in America. This is this is an American virtue. Self-sufficiency is a virtue. 
Like if you you need to you need to do stuff on your own. You need to not rely on other people. You pull certainly yeah. You pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. I know. Everybody has to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. And if you are self-sufficient, if you are a self-made man, then then obviously you're somebody that we should look up to. Like look at all the things that I've accomplished in my life. All of the challenges that I've overcome, right? Self-sufficiency is this glowing principle that we as Americans hold, hold up. And yet, when we read scripture, we find Jesus, and we find James, and we find Paul, all saying, you should be very hesitant to rely on your own strength. In fact, you should not rely on your own strength. And, and our pushback is, well, obviously, you know, it's me and Jesus. Like, you know, I can do all things through Christ because he strengthens me. We pulled out one verse that doesn't have anything to do with God making you strong or capable uh, whatsoever. Um, we grab this one verse because we think that it reinforces this this other point. And and really, what what the authors do so well here is that they 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 point out the way that we we become myopic in our readings. Everybody know what that means? Myopic. It's it's uh, it's tunnel vision. We, we we have this assumption. We have this assumption about what is good and what is bad. Virtues and vices, good things and bad things. And as soon as we run across one of those, we immediately find a verse somewhere in Scripture that makes us feel better about our own culture's beliefs about good things and bad things. And then we use that verse to baptize our culture's opinions about good things and bad things. Okay? So they talk about that at the very beginning where, where you know, the, the, the hen doesn't give food to any of her neighbors even though everybody's hungry, which is the opposite of what Christianity looks like, just in case anybody's curious. The same, the same with the ants. Like, none of this is Christianity. But we go back and we're like, well, but there's this one verse that Paul used this one time about whoever doesn't work shouldn't eat. Like, well, he didn't say that about the people at the door. He said just the opposite about the, the poor and the needy in your midst, just like Jesus did. He definitely said that you need to have some real tough conversations with lazy people in your community. Like, if, if somebody in our church chooses not to work because they just don't want to, then Father Lee's going to have a come to Jesus meeting with you. Ta-da! We're going to have a chat about what that looks like in, in the context of our community. But that doesn't mean that when poor people show up at the doorstep that we're like, oh, well, if you won't work, then you don't get any food from us. That's not what it's talking about whatsoever. But as Christians in America, we've taken this one little verse, pulled completely out of context, and we've used it to baptize our own culture's version of what good things and bad things are. They're not biblical good things and bad things. They're just our, our own culture's way of viewing good things and bad things. So another example of this is, is the American addiction to the word freedom. It doesn't actually mean anything. Okay, I was watching this movie today called um, Johnny Tremaine. Have you guys seen this? Like maybe way back in the day, right? Like the book was awesome. Yes, it's like I was watching the, the this Disney version today, and the, they're they're all sitting down in this in in this upper room, like right before you know the, the Paul Revere's ride, and and one of the guys just says. What's the point of all of this? Like, why are we doing what we're doing? And they roll out all of these, the, these ideas. It's like, well, it's taxation. He's like, no. 
You don't get to kill people because you're tired of, of giving money to the government. And somebody, like, people keep throwing out these opinions, and he just shoots them all down. And finally it gets to this, it's like, well, the, because, because we're supposed to be free. And so there's like, oh, and then angels come down, and there's like light from heaven. And it's like, good, we can kill people because we're free. It's interesting there, there, there continues to be, there was and continues to be a long-standing argument amongst Anglicans about that specific issue. Um, because the Sons of Liberty were notorious for taking Anglican priests and pouring hot oil over them and then tarring and feathering them and running them out of town. Uh, and sometimes just hanging them because, you know, because Anglicans. Um, that's why the church in America is called the Episcopal Church. It's not called the Anglican Church. It's because they didn't want there to be any connection between the Church of England and the the, uh, the Anglican Church in America. So here it's called the Episcopal Church. Like that's the whole reason behind it. Okay. So there's a, but there's this long-standing debate because there are lots of Episcopal ministers in the U.S. who are saying, no, we support what the what the colonists are doing. And and of course, you know, there's people on the other side. You know, not, not least among whom is like John Wesley, who's like, no, this is the, you guys don't have the, the moral high ground here, okay? And what we're running into is this culturally determined foundational moral issues. We're running into this, the, the, this whole point. Like, we've got, this, we've got this notion in our heads that, that the thing that matters is whether or not we're being free. But in fact, what we find when we read the Gospels is that Jesus is constantly saying, yeah, you know the Romans, the guys who are about to torture me to death and who are going to torture all of my disciples to death? Whenever they come by and they're just mean to you and they press you into service, then you should, you should double whatever they ask. Whatever, whatever penalty they impose on you, you should double it and smile the whole time. If they beat you, you should let them beat you twice because then they'll know that you're my disciples. Right? Like this is Jesus' response to government oppression. You should let them oppress you more. We're like, no, that makes me real uncomfortable, God. I'm sorry, God. <laughs> Word made flesh. It's, it's all comfortable and nice for me to sing songs about that at Christmas. But don't step in and start jibber-jabbering about politics, Mr. Man. Okay? We get really uncomfortable about this because this is, again, this is one of those, those basic issues that we've, we've grabbed one or two verses and we've pulled them out of context and we've baptized this without ever saying, what does Scripture actually say? What does Paul actually say about the kind of world that we're supposed to live in? The book does a good job of talking about the Pax Americana as well. Of course, those two things are sort of tied in together, the Pax Americana and freedom, right? This, this idea that might makes right, right? The world's a peaceful place because we blew all of the bad guys up. Real all, all this, right. literally, all that you have to do is turn on the news right now, and and there's there's that tension right there. It's like, well, here are these people that I don't like, so we should just kill them all. Also, all of their families and all of their neighbors and anybody who happens to be in the vicinity, or anybody who has a similar name, or anybody who has a similar just name. Mm -hmm. We attain peace through violence. Like that's that's ultimately what we're saying is that peace is attained <laughs> through violence. Snack, you can have some we just take our wars and then we baptize them. We're like, well, the Nazis are really bad, so it's okay to put Bible verses on our bombs when we drop them on civilians in Dresden. Right? Because God's cool with that. He's not cool with that. It was a sin, and people who are involved have to repent. Okay, so leadership was the next one. This one I thought was really poignant because, you know, these other things you are like, well, you know, we as... 
we we as sort of you know on the on the political social spectrum Saint Aidan's Church is is crunchy right we're we're kind of on the hippie side of the of the modern Christian spectrum okay so obviously we're going to be like you know well you know Pax Americana we're going to you know that but like the book then brings up this issue of leadership and the way that we as Americans talk about leadership like the, the term leader itself is like this little galaxy of, of virtues. And we take all of these virtues and we're like, you need to be a leader. And we're like, you know, good people are the ones who are leaders. Bad people are the ones who are followers, right? We call them followers or sheep or drones. Like we have all of these terms to describe people who don't have leadership qualities. And yet, when you read scripture, scripture says over and over again that the that the virtue is not leadership, the virtue is obedience. That in the kingdom, it's obedience and service, right? And we try to, you know, as pastors, especially as pastors, we're like, well, what if we talk about servant leadership? And we, we develop this whole new thing that's not that. It's, it has nothing to do with that at all. It's a virtue. It's a virtue that our culture holds up as a pinnacle of virtue. It's this really important thing to us. And we've, we've developed an entire system of virtues and vices that surround this idea that being a leader is the most important thing. And yet, the virtue that we find over and over again in Scripture is not that leadership is a virtue, but that service and obedience is a virtue. And for us, we're like, no, obedience is a bad thing. You should not be obedience because you're supposed to be free. Obedience means not freedom. These things are all sort of tied in together. Another one that the book mentions that was that, that, that was absolutely true is the virtue of tolerance. The scriptural worldview does not promote tolerance. It does not. Now, does it promote violence? No. But violence and tolerance are not and, and intolerance are not the same thing. Scripture says these things are true. Jesus shows up and says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And the ones who oppose me are whitewashed tombs, and they are snakes, and they are liars, and they are sons of the liar. Like, these are the ways that he talks about the people who preach a different reality than he preaches. But for us, culturally, we're like, well, that makes me really uncomfortable when Jesus says stuff like that. Like, I'm like, I want to just move on to the next verse, and I want to skip over it, and I, I just... I just, I just don't like it. And yet when we read from the prophets and when we read from the gospel and when we read from the epistles, every time that we encounter this, they're, they're condemning syncretism. Over and over and over again, they're saying, do not let these things in your culture around you change who you are. Do not let yourselves be changed by the world that you live in. The trouble here is not just that we may allow our, our own our culture's virtues and vices to inform our readings, but that also we may ignore biblical virtues when they conflict with the, the, the virtues and vices. Because this is, this is something that we've talked about in the past, is that when, when, we're, when there's a conflict that happens between the values or the worldview of Scripture and the values and the worldview of our own culture, when, when there's a conflict that happens, our first impulse is to harmonize the two. Our first impulse is to find this place where we can make both of them work at the same time and at the same sense without ever pausing to say, maybe the assumptions that I have, the assumptions that I'm bringing to the text are wrong. 
Maybe the things that I've been taught all of this time are wrong, and that Scripture is saying something entirely different. Maybe the things that Scripture is saying are so different that I just need to pause for a moment and collect my thoughts and think about these things all over again. One of the things that they bring up in, at the end of the chapter is the idea of, of saving money, which is just one of those things that we're like, yeah, that's the thing that you do. You put stuff into 401ks. You know, you, you put all your money away and you put it into savings. And, you know, like that's, that, that's what you do. You do that so that eventually you don't have to work anymore and you can just sit back and be comfortable and, you know, all of the work has been sort of saved up and put away. But they include this quote from, from St. Basil which was just amazing, right? Since then, the wealth still overflows. It gets buried underground, stashed away in secret places, for they say what's to come is uncertain. We may face unexpected needs. Therefore, it is equally uncertain whether you will have any use for your buried gold. It's not certain, however, what will be the penalty. It is not uncertain, however, what will be the penalty for your inveterate humanity. For when you failed with your thousand notions wholly to expend your wealth, you then concealed it in the earth. A strange madness that when gold lies hidden with other metals, one ransacks the earth, and after it has seen the light of day, it then disappears again beneath the ground. From this I perceive it happens to you that in burying your money, you also bury your heart. For where your treasure is, it is said, there your heart will be also. This is why the commandments cause sorrow, because they have nothing to do with useless spending sprees, and they make life unbearable for you. Basil goes on in the same sermon to say that, that, the, that the sin of the man who builds more silos is that he neglected to see that the silos were the poor on his doorstep. Those were the banks in which he was meant to invest his wealth. And he missed that. He missed that because he didn't see the world around him the way that God sees it. But for us, we're like, yeah, but I want a retirement account. Right? Like, I, I, I think retirement accounts are important. It's really important to me. I want to make sure that I'm managing my money wisely. You know, like it makes us really uncomfortable because we have our own particular cultural virtues. That are surrounded that, that, that surround this idea of living comfortably and setting something aside so that your your autumn years can be comfortable and 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 you don't you don't have to let other people take care of you. You can take care of yourself because self sufficiency is the most important uh, of, of of our of our cultural virtues. It's a hard thing, but the point of this is not for us to say these are the cultural values and they're all wrong and you should stop believing in them, okay? The point of the discussion tonight is not to say these are the things that we believe in and those are wrong, okay? The point of this tonight is for us to walk away from here as people who read Scripture better than we did when we came into the room, okay? So listen to this quote from Augustine because it's brilliant. So they say, as far as Augustine was concerned, reading scripture should encourage the reader's love for God and for his neighbor. And Augustine writes, so anyone who thinks that he has understood the divine scripture or any part of them, but cannot, by his understanding, build up this double love of God and neighbor, has not yet succeeded in understanding them. For Augustine, if reading scripture does not both cause you to love God and your neighbor more than you have failed at reading scripture. And then Augustine drops the mic 
and walks off stage. Mm-hmm. Right? Like that, That's what this is. The whole point of this is for you and I to be people who read Scripture better. And what that means is that you and I read Scripture and fall in love with God more and with each other more every time that we encounter God in his word. Okay? That's the whole point of this. The whole point of this is not for us to say, gosh, I really like the idea of of freedom. I really like the idea of freedom as as a political structure. I feel like that's important. I guess I can't do that anymore, or I can't be a Christian, one or the other. I I suppose I have to pick between that and Christianity. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is we need to recognize that the culture that we live in has handed us these values and the, these, these, these vices, these virtues, has given them to us, and we need to, every time they come up, pay attention to them and not let them change the way that we read Scripture. We need to be aware of the virtues and the vices in our own minds and in our own hearts, these things that are constantly being drilled into us over and over again, So that when we sit down and read scripture, those things aren't keeping us from understanding what it is that God is trying to communicate through his church, through his word. What are some other virtues or vices that that you perceive in in our culture? What are things they could have talked about in the book that that they didn't? I mean, the section where they actually outlined specific virtues and vices was kind of short. Um, But they're just useful for an illustration of what virtues and vices look like. But those are certainly not the only ones. What are some others that you can think of? Um, I'm just gonna take care of my my own like my own like my family is more mm-hmm. important than just outside of my family. Mm-hmm. When you were talking about Augustine and him talking about, you know, whatever you know, the lens we're gonna read the gospel through is love. Mm-hmm. Just the very definition of love mm-hmm. And what is virtuous or a vice about love is is something that can be very cultural. And so what I may think of, or, you know, what some teenager who listens to, who watches Nicholas Sparks movies and listens to the radio, um, thinks about what, what love is. I mean, I'm sure there's something besides Nicholas Sparks now. I guess it's that John Green guy. <laughs> Somebody has to die for it to be true love. <laughs> yeah, I mean, along along those lines, I'm sure that it has, you know, o- over the years gotten annoying. But that's why when, when we talk about love, like, I always pause for a second and give, you know, my short little four-sentence definition about it because it's so easy. It's so ingrained in our culture that love is this emotive experience. And and that that's completely different from what scripture is talking about when it invites us to love each other and to love uh to to love our our God, right? But it's so hard because like even I find myself slipping into that mode where I'm like, well, you know, it's just an easier word to use, so I'll just use that for this particular conversation that I'm having. That's a huge one. What are some others? Do you mean the non-biblical ones, or do you mean virtues or vices? In general? I'm just talking about our our culture. So, like, what what are some virtues and vices in in our culture? Um, temperance, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Both sides of the coin, but Both I mean, that's, yeah, that's yeah. a massive one. I mean, the conversation has changed probably in the last, you know, 15 years or so. Not much longer than that, though. You know, I, I think all of us in this room can remember when there was not a conversation being had about whether or not, especially as Protestants, it was okay for Christians to drink. Maybe, maybe for a handful of, of folks, but, like, there was never a conversation about that, ever. It was like, no, that's just a thing that you don't do. Christians don't do that. What else? Justice. Mm-hmm. Well, we, it, these are the, the four major Greek virtues that the Western um, cultures have pretty much embraced: are love, temperance, justice, and courage. Courage. Mm-hmm. Ah, courage. Mm-hmm. Every vacation Bible school. And all of those have both sides. Right. So you have had the virtue and vice of both of those. So they're. Right. Can't do that to the Greek soldiers. Right. Be strong. Well, there's and there's a big one. Yeah. Like yeah. And especially military related. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 It does, but I think it exists in a different way. Yeah. I mean, we just kind of look at what are the hot button, hot yeah. Facebook button topics mm-hmm. right now. You know? Right. That's, that's one that's changing a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like, there's starting to be some pushback against you don't get to define patriotism. Right. You can't define it. Well, it's You don't get to say that my protest is unpatriotic. Because, right. Yeah. Because in an ideal world, this, this idea of freedom right. is that, is, yeah. is that right. protest is by its very definition patriotic in a world where freedom is... is and this is the trouble that we run into, is that these virtues and vices don't agree. Oftentimes they don't agree. And the same is true when we read scripture. There are vices and virtues because scripture is a cross-cultural narrative. There are virtues and vices that disagree because the Greek writers are disagreeing entirely with the Jewish writers. Right? There's, there's this, this thing that no one ever talks about, generally speaking, that happens. And we mentioned it last time, but we didn't go into it. So, so... Paul is out planting churches all over the Greek world, and he comes back and he, and, and to, to Jerusalem, and he sits down with all of the apostles, and they all sit together, and they say, okay, these, this is what's happening. They receive Paul, and they receive him as an apostle, and they rejoice in all of the work that he's doing. And they say, now, when you go out, make sure that you tell everybody that they do not have to be circumcised, and they may not eat food sacrificed to idols. He then immediate, almost immediately, within, within a couple of years, starts writing letters that we have in Scripture telling Christians, you guys decide whether or not you want to eat food sacrificed to idols. Okay? He immediately disobeys the other apostles. They said, this is the way that it's going to be. And Paul says, no. And he goes off and he does his own thing. So what do we do with that? Like, you know, I, you know the, the, the old fundamentalist in me is like, have to have have to make harmony in between those two, right? Like I can't, I, I don't want to deal with this with this dichotomy. But no, Paul says no. That's not that, that that's not a word from the Lord. That's that's a word from men, and so I'm not going to receive it in that way. And I'm gonna, you know, 
continue you know moving forward and maybe that was a good thing maybe it wasn't some of those churches didn't last very long they didn't they didn't end up doing important things um, maybe they ought to have been told to, to stop you know to, to, to be to be more uh, you know to, to be more about temperance and less about tolerance you know maybe that would have been a good thing I don't know like we can't we can't just say on our own but the same tension that exists in our own culture exists in scripture because scripture is a conflict of cultures over and over again that's what happens right and the whole point of this is for us to be reading scripture with our eyes open okay so you're reading it well so how do we do that Right? Knowing that we bring these, you know, we've got we've got ten things up on the board, and this is only scratching the surface, right? Because like right now you've got like these thoughts, you're like, well, this one, but it kind of fits into two or three of these, so I guess it's already covered it. Well, this one too, but it fits over but you know, right? Like we've all got those sort of moving around in our heads. And before we read this chapter, we weren't really thinking about them in these terms. They were just sort of it's like, well, you know, maybe I'll read a passage in scripture. Or you know, come face to face with something, uh, and you know, and, and I'll you know, I'll question that or something. But but by and large, these are things that we that, that we that, that go without being said for us. We're comfortable living in the tension, and these are assumptions that go without being said. So how do we start calling these things to mind? Doing this is really is is the first way. It's like naming those things. So like these are the things that culturally I believe are virtues and vices. Now, now that I have some of those in mind, how do I read scripture? So everybody grab a Bible. We've come to the part of the day where we're going to do what we've been practicing. <laughs> so we're going to be in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6. Verse 16 through 19. I'm reading from the ESV, but we, we do not need to... Oh, it'll be before that. <laughs> like Tobit. Esther with additions. <laughs> the thirteenth chapter of Daniel, which doesn't fit there, and that doesn't make any sense. I love Bell and the Dragon. It's, it's my favorite. So here's what uh, here's what the teacher says in Proverbs chapter six. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to Him: haughty eyes, a lying tongue and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breeds out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Now, the question for us is, as you read this list from Scripture, if you had to pick one or two of the things in this list, what are the one or two that really, like, you're, you're like, yes, I am so glad that somebody said that. Because I've been sitting around waiting for somebody to point out that those are things that God hates. I, Come on. I more Right? Well, I mean, there's that. There's that. We'll get to, we're going to do that in just a minute. But first, what are the ones where you're like, I wish some people had just heard God say that to them, right? What are the things that you're like, yes, that is a, that, that is a, a vice that God hates that we need to spend more time talking about? No, just don't do it. 
Lying tongues. Lying tongues. False witness. Mm-hmm. No. What else? Who else? The one that sows discord. The one that sows discord. Who else? I really like the feet that are swift and running to... Mine says mischief. To mischief. Oh. Which, which, which feet that hurt So all of our children... Yeah, like, All running, the like running to evil is one thing. Running to mischief, to me, I'm like, I don't have a problem with that. <laughs> but running to evil is something different. Mm-hmm. I, but I think, I think in the in the theme of these four verses, mischief makes more sense than running to yeah. evil because it's all because everything he's talking about is 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 like they they mentioned in the book tonight, which is biblical lists typically are not are, are not intended to be. Uh, to be exhaustive, and they're not—they're not building up to a point, and they're not—they're just these are a list of things, and usually the last thing is intended to sort of put a boundary around them, okay? And so the the, the last thing in this list is sowing discord, right? And like mischief is all about that. It's about sowing discord among brothers in the family, in a family. Yeah. What are some that you're like? I didn't think about that. Were there some there that surprised you? Some there that you have never heard? Was there one on that list that you have never heard a sermon about? Maybe not just Haughty from eyes. me, but like ever. Haughty eyes. Haughty I've heard sermons on haughty yeah. eyes. Yeah. Hmm? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Being judgy. It could be being judgy, but it could also be looking down on other people. You know? well, that's what but, being yeah. I'm better than you, so I judge you. Right. Yeah, that's kind of mm-hmm. There's one that likes to laminate and send to someone. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll look for the mail. Oh, hey, by the by, these are things that the Lord, the Lord hates and detests. FYI. <laughs> Now, now that I learned to look around the log in my own eye, I'm <laughs> my sight has adjusted. Exactly. <laughs> what are some others? Is there something in that list where you're like, huh? I think that the placement of hands that shed innocent blood, like, is a little uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, okay, oh, okay, oh, that was terrible. Okay. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, no, I'm right. Stop. At least I'm not Whoa. that one. Although I mean, there's 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 definitely like body imagery there, right? Because it's eyes, tongue, hands, heart, feet, breath, and then action. But yeah, but it's like right. Maybe it was like, what are what are hands doing that like you know. I don't remember this in Hebrew, even though I translated a bunch of proverbs. That was my Hebrew instructor's favorite one. She was like, she was like either Kings, First Kings, or Proverbs. Those were those were the ones that were going to happen on the test. She's like, here you go, translate. But it may just be that that one sounds pretty in that little, you know, section. I don't I don't know offhand. It just seems out of place. Right. <laughs> Or right so 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 one of the one of the practices it's it's harder when we get to, to like last week and this week and next week it's harder for me to put like really quick little snippets on the board that are solutions for you okay because these are these are huge like these are big picture things so what I want us to do is to do what we like what we just did which is we're just going to practice we're just going to we're, we're so so the thing is to 
So watch in, in our passages for those things to happen. Watch in passages for there to be either virtues or vices being described, and then pause and say, which ones did I just skip over because I don't care about them? Which are the ones that to me don't seem like virtues or don't seem like vices, right? Because that's, of course, for us as Americans, that's one of our other, you know, like, like big draws is, is we, will, we will always spend more time talking about vices than we do talking about virtue. Right. Like, that's just our thing. We're like, no, we're, we really believe that Christianity is about not doing things rather than doing things. We, we really, like, that's the way that we conceive of it. So another thing that's useful is is this practice. So it's useful for us, like as as a group, to like sit down and and talk about those things, right? To say what are the things that we're good at, what are the things that we're bad at. To to ask these questions about what what is true about us culturally, and then to say, as I'm reading through Psalms this week, am I seeing these things? What are the things that that Scripture is saying are missing, and how do we change that? How do we change that in our Wednesday night Bible studies? How do we change that? You know, are there virtues that we're not spending enough time talking about? Are there vices that we've invented that aren't vices? Right? Like those, those sorts of things. Like what, what are the things that need to be, uh, that need to be changed so that, so that the worldview of our parish is a biblical worldview and not our own personal one that we've developed because, you know, that's just what happens when a group of people live so closely together. Right? That's not going to solve all of the problems. I'm sorry. The things that we can do that are, that are helpful are going to be sitting down and, and paying attention to the things that are happening inside our own hearts as we're reading Scripture. Where are the places where I, where Scripture is making me uncomfortable? And then just pausing on, on those places. Where are the places where I just am getting bored? And then pausing on those places. What is it about this that I find boring? What is it about this that, that I find offensive? What is it about this that I find off-putting? What, what is it about this passage that, is, that, that I find intriguing? And then diving into that. Like the, that's the way that we're going to, to, to slowly, piece by piece, begin to, uh, begin to show in, in our own lives and in our own speech the ways that, that the virtues and vices of the biblical world are really happening in, in the community that we're creating here at St. Aidan's. That make sense? Sort of. It's not easy. Sorry. We've, got, we've gotten past the easy stuff where it's like, you just need to pay attention to time words. Whenever you see a time word, pay attention and see how it's being used. Sorry, I don't have that. There's not like, there's not like a whole list of virtue vice words that I can just hand you that you know, will make, we'll, we'll make... If you run across a passage that says, these are the things the Lord hates, that's probably one of those passages where you're going to find you know, uh, uh, an explanation of virtue and vice in Scripture. But that's not going to help you with what we're talking about tonight. So it's about... It, it's about critically thinking about our own thought life, if that makes sense. Thank you for checking out Thin Places today. If you were blessed by your time with us and want to know more, check out anchor.fm forward slash thin places for more homilies, devotionals, and worship from St. Aidan's Church in Nicholasville, Kentucky. And make sure to follow us and leave a comment and join us again next time in common prayer, common worship, and common life. The peace of the Lord be always with you.
earth our Father is restored. Hope with our Father is restored.